Well, good morning again. Welcome to Pillar Church. My name is Trace, one of the pastors here. And we are getting close to um, the end of our series of More Like Him. We have, obviously, today and then Christmas Eve service will wrap up this nine-week study of just being more like Him, cultivating and growing in Jesus' example of His life and His teaching of the fruits of the Spirit, you know, these expressions of the fruits of the Spirit that we're talking about. But before we get down that path real quick, I did want to just kind of set things up a little bit this morning. As everybody knows, it's football season and it's getting down to the very end. Um, any football fans in the house? Okay, not very many. That's okay. <clears throat> because it doesn't really matter if you're a fan in what I'm about to say, really. Um, but I will tell you this. Uh, there is one particular team in the NFL who is known for their fan base. In fact, their fan base, the people that follow after them, are known by just one word. Anybody know what that word is? Go ahead and put it up there. Faithful. <clears throat> faithful since 1946. And it's easy to be faithful when you are supporting the greatest team in the history of the NFL. <laughs> now look, I know some of you disagree with me. Some of you disagree with me, and I get it. I understand. It's hard to admit when you're wrong, but... Um, you know, it's just, just kind of how it is. Um, and I would consider myself, you know, one of the faithful. I grew up going to, uh, not going to the games, but watching the games, following after the games. And um, in fact, I've even been to Candlestick Park. You show that picture there? Um, on the field. Yeah, of course, I wasn't there to play football. Um, I scored a touchdown on the next picture. I was in the end zone. I scored just being there. <clears throat> Yeah, laugh all you want. I was there. <laughs> Faithful. Yeah, all the way through the 80s, the 90s, you know. Um, in fact, this is a, a little bit of a telling thing. Um, when we first got married, uh, I wasn't a Christian. Some of you don't know that. But um, my wife was getting ready to go back to church and try to get her life back in order. And, and I would accompany her if the Niners weren't playing at 10 o'clock. If they were playing, it's like, all right, I'll see you when you get back. Faithful, Right? Faithful. I mean, I don't know if that describes faithful or being a jerk. It doesn't really matter. That's not the point. The point is I was faithful. But, but I'll tell you this. Something began to happen inside of me. And it wasn't as important as it used to be, you know, and, and something in my heart started to shift. And um, you know what it was? You know what it was? The 49ers started to be terrible. <clears throat> they were awful, Right? Early 2000s, I even stopped watching football for a season. I was like, nope. No, it didn't have anything to do with Jesus and him changing my heart. They were just terrible. And I was like, how do you brag about something that's like 1 in 15? You can't brag about that. So it wasn't fun anymore. So I was like, all right. You know, I just live my life, do my thing. But then recently, my heart began to change again. <laughs> and I started getting excited about the 49ers again. I don't know what it was. And I looked down, and I was like, oh, wow, they're like number one seed in the NFC. I mean, they might go to the Super Bowl. Completely unrelated, but it's just something happened in me. And I was like, I want to start being a faithful fan again. And I was, and I am. <laughs> I watched the game last night, all 60 minutes of it. Yeah, yeah. It was a good game. <clears throat> so in the sports world, what do you call that kind of fan? Bandwagon or 
fair-weather fan, right? And I am ashamed to admit to you that I am a fair-weather fan of the 49ers. <clears throat> and here's what I want to initiate our conversation with today, is I don't want any of us to be experiencing fair-weather faithfulness when it comes to serving our Lord, right? Because in what I just described, my faithfulness depended on their performance, right? And how fun and exciting it was to be a faithful fan. And the moment that it wasn't fun anymore, I was like, yep, I'm done. Right? We don't have that luxury in our Christian faith to live out fair-weather faithfulness. It's just not an option. So that's kind of where we're talking about. And if you have questions this morning, you can text them into the number on the screen. That is also the number that's in your bulletins. We do a Q&A session at the end of the service where we kind of help to maybe clarify some thoughts or anything that I'm going to say this morning. So we'd love for you to interact in that way. But, but let me pray and, uh, and just ask for the Lord's help and then we'll dig in. So Father, we do thank you, Lord, for another day. We thank you for this Advent season that we can look forward to celebrating the birth of our Savior. An amazing an eternity-changing event, Lord, and we just ask that you would help us this morning to understand faithfulness as you intended it, as you describe it in your word, and as you have for us to walk out faithfully serving and loving you, Lord, all the days of our life. We ask for your help this morning. God, set aside any distraction. Lord, help me to speak with truth and with boldness your word. I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So faithfulness may not be what you think it is. In the famous words of Inigo Montoya, right? You keep using that word. And what's the rest of it? I do not think that means what you think it means, right? Nobody knows that. Okay, never mind. It's Inigo Montoya. Thank you. Faithfulness, as it's used to describe that expression of the fruit in Galatians doesn't just mean being consistent or reliable. I mean, anybody can be consistent and reliable. Like you're faithful to show up each week and help set up. I mean, we use the word in that way, but that's not the biblical meaning. In fact, it has another component that we need to add to just being consistent and faithful if we are to look at it as, as Paul is describing it in Galatians. So the more complete answer actually comes from asking the question, why are we faithful? So keep that in the back of your mind as we're walking through this morning. Why are we faithful? We are consistent. We're reliable. We love our families well. We serve the church based on something beyond ourselves. Something that goes beyond good intentions and a sense of obligation. That's the idea here. So how many of you have ever done something, we'll just say extra, at work, even though you didn't really feel like it? Anybody? Okay, the rest of you are just rock stars, and you volunteer for everything. You want me to show up at 6 o'clock and rearrange the conference room? You got it. I'm there. Right? Everybody has done something extra in their workplace or at school because you felt like you had to. Oh, I got I to do this, or somebody's going to look bad, or I'm going to do this or that. We've all done it. Whether you raise your hand or not, okay? You're guilty. Done. Now, more important question. How many of you have done something, again, we'll call it extra, at church? Because you felt like you had to. 
Okay. I was just giving you an option there to be real thoughtful about that. Yeah, we, we have. You know, and I'm not saying for sure that you've done that, but I would, I would venture to guess that every person in this room has done something extra because they felt like they had to. And we actually can be described as faithful by doing these things, but that is not describing the faithfulness in Galatians 5. Not in whole. So we, we will actually miss the true essence of what Paul is talking about here if our reliable, consistent actions are not a response to the faithfulness of God. Right? In other words, His faithfulness to us is the source of our faithfulness. It's not out of obligation or good intentions. None of those things can be the foundation of our faithfulness. It has to be a response to His faithfulness to us. Does that make sense? Okay, because otherwise we're going to end up in a place where we're, we're not supposed to be. So that said, I want to look at three things before we turn to um, baptism and we get to celebrate with some folks. First of all, faithfulness is grounded in the character of God. Faithfulness is grounded in the character of God. How and why is God faithful? And I think to fully answer that question, we need to understand that first and foremost, and this may come as a shock to some of you, Jesus, God the Father, is faithful to himself. First and foremost, God is faithful to himself above all other things. How many of you knew that? Okay, well, a couple of you. Maybe you understood the concept, you never heard it vocalized in that way. This is really actually very critical for us to understand and build our comprehension of God's faithfulness. Because if we're basing our entire life off of something, we ought to have a clear understanding of what that looks like if we're to have any success, quote-unquote, to living this out in our lives. We have to know what we're establishing our own faithfulness on. So I'm going to read something that I think just really clarifies this whole idea, because some people, when they hear that God is first and foremost faithful to himself, they have a, they have a problem with that. They're like, what, is this some egotistical God who just wants all the attention for himself? Why would I serve somebody like that? Have you heard people say things like that before? I have, for sure. And so I want to read this uh, quote from uh, Pastor John Piper, this is what he says. God is the one being for whom self-exaltation is the most loving act because he is exalting for us what alone can satisfy us fully and forever. That's step one. Number two, he says, if we exalt ourselves, we are not loving because we distract people from the one person who can make them happy forever God. But if God exalts himself, he draws attention to the one person who can make us happy forever, himself. You see, he's not an egomaniac. He is an infinitely glorious, all-satisfying God, offering us everlasting and supreme joy in himself. That makes sense? You see why this is so important for us to hold, grab hold of? The reason God is so concerned 
with his reputation and glory is because he knows that he is the only true answer for humanity. And he wants everybody to see his goodness and glory and not be distracted by people, possessions, status, all the other things that compete for our attention. It's all on the line. And it starts with his character that's demonstrated in his faithfulness. God is faithful to his reputation, faithful to his word, and faithful to us, his people. So here are a couple of examples that we're going to build on. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right, start with that one because he never changes. Right? We need to understand that. Let's look at Psalm 89. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. Not going to remove it. I'm not going to be false to my faithfulness. I stay true to my word. Let's look at the next one. First Kings. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all of his good promise which he spoke by Moses his servant. Not one word has failed. Let's look at Deuteronomy. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. One more. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So God's faithfulness is not something we need to wrestle with. Do you believe that God is faithful? Okay. Can we base our own faithfulness on his faithfulness? Can we do that? We, we can. We, we, we should be. And I hope to kind of unpack that a little more for us. I remain faithful because I know he will never leave me or forsake me. Does his words promise that? Yeah. So I can be faithful because of that. I can be faithful because I know that nothing can pluck me from his hand. Does his word promise that? Yeah. I can be faithful because I know that he will supply my every need. I know that everything he does is for my good and for his glory. I know this and a whole lot more that God promises in his word. And God says, just as we read multiple times, that he will do what he says. He is faithful to his word. His reputation is on the line, and he cannot lie. He cannot go back on his word. So then we, in turn can be faithful, no matter what things look like around us. It's easy to be faithful, like when the Niners are winning. Oh, yeah, woohoo! go Niners. Easy, no problem. Easy to be faithful when things are going well. Family's healthy, money's coming in, job's good, church is awesome. Faithful, woo! What happens when somebody gets sick in your family? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when all these things start adding up? You don't know how you're going to pay your bills. Not so easy to be faithful. But did God's promises change in your circumstances? No, but man, it's hard. It's so easy to get our eyes 
off of God's faithfulness and onto the challenges that we face. But we have to know what our own faithfulness is rooted in, and that's in God's faithfulness who will not change. So I think in this Christmas season, one of the most clear ways that we can see the faithfulness of God is the fulfillment of His great promise. And that was all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Let's look at Genesis 12, 2 and 3. This is God talking to Abraham. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, so this is the beginning of God's promise to bring a Messiah into the world. So as we unpack the Old Testament, we begin to see a little bit more clearly what this promise looks like. But this is the initial promise that there is going to be a person in the form of Christ who will bring all of that to fruition. So anybody know how far it was approximately from Genesis 12, this statement from God, to the birth of Jesus? Throw me out some guesses. How many, how many years are we talking? Uh, 472,000. Okay, 400. Jim, you don't get to answer. Jim, you don't get to answer. Jim said the answer right away, so I still didn't get to answer. What was the answer, Jim? 2,000 years, more or less. 2,000 years. 2,500 was a good guess, but you went over, so you're out. 2,000 years approximately before the Messiah is born... God gives this promise, this promise that would bring blessing to all the families of the earth. Of course, we know that blessing is his son, Jesus, and his plan to bring redemption to his people through the blood of Christ shed for us. Generation after generation after generation waited and waited and waited for this faithful promise to thousand years they waited. Does time interrupt God's faithfulness? No, it doesn't. 2,000 years, nothing to him. But to people who are waiting for this, that's a long time. You think people gave up on the promise? It's like, yeah, that wasn't true. Yeah, 2,000 years. That's crazy. Time does not interrupt his faithfulness. Circumstances do not interrupt his faithfulness. We do not interrupt his faithfulness. Nothing gets in the way of God accomplishing his plan. Let's put up uh, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. You see, here is God making good on his 2,000-year-old promise when the fullness of time had come. Those words can really ring true for us who are in challenging situations, knowing that the fullness of time is coming for us to be delivered from whatever it is that we're being challenged with. But God is faithful. All right, that's, that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing is that faithfulness is exemplified in the person and work of Jesus. So it's grounded in the character of God, but it's exemplified in the person and work 
of Jesus. So our tendency this time of year, of course, is to focus on the birth of Christ, which it should be. But Jesus' faithfulness is most clearly demonstrated in the New Testament for us in his willingness to walk out the will of the Father, right? Knowing that God the Father had a plan that was set into motion way before the foundations of the world, like God knew how this was all going to play out, Jesus chose faithfulness to the Father, even to the point of what? Death. Yeah, faithfulness. I mean, here's the Messiah, promised centuries ago, right? Born of a virgin, living a life free from sin, and ultimately laying down his life freely, all based on God's faithfulness to his promise. Man. Nevertheless, Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done, because there was a moment where there was some hesitation it felt like. It was like, mm, is there another way to do this, Lord? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He trusted in the faithfulness of the Father to know that this was all a part of the plan, and so Jesus walked it out. And so we, then, must follow the example and say to God, I trust in your faithfulness. I know that this looks like this is the wrong way, or this is a painful way, or whatever fill-in-the-blank way it is in front of you. But if you can say, I trust in your faithfulness to accomplish your will in my life, I will be faithful. So when we look at Jesus as the example, we can go through the entire New Testament and see countless ways of Jesus' faithfulness. I just think that's kind of the most clear picture for us to see his faithfulness and that exemplified for us to see it in action. So I'm just going to, I'm going to leave it there and I'm going to move quickly to our third section, which is faithfulness in action, which is basically application. What, what does all this mean for us? Because it's important that we understand God's character in his faithfulness, exemplified in Jesus, but how do we walk this out. What are some things we need to keep in mind? First thing we need to keep in mind is that faithfulness does not require action from any other person around you. Godly faithfulness tells us from his example in 2 Timothy, it says, if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It doesn't matter what other people are doing around us. You can write down 2 Timothy 2.13. I didn't put it up there, <clears throat> but this is what it says. Again, if we are faithless, if we don't do what we're supposed to do, God is faithful no matter what because he cannot deny himself. So it doesn't matter what's going on around us. Okay, I'll be faithful to you if you do this, this, and that. I'll love you as Christ loved the church if you do this, this, and that. There's no conditions on faithfulness. It's not based on feelings or emotions. It's rooted in our understanding of and our appreciation for God's own faithfulness. We don't operate in faithfulness based on the action of others, right? And this is actually counter to everything the world tells us, isn't it? Which is exactly the next point. Faithfulness is not based on the example of society. I mean, we live in a culture that is fine with broken promises, 
right? Everything from breaking your contract at your apartment to breaking your covenant of marriage. We're okay as a society with breaking promises, right? I mean, look around. The whole adage of your word is your bond, like I don't even think that exists anymore. Do people even say that anymore? Arlene says it. <clears throat> she means it. Right? But that's what it was back in the day. If I give you my word on this, I'm not going back on it. Right? But, but now, man, you got to second guess everything. Like, you told me you were going to do this, but are you really going to do that? How do we function in a world like that? We must be very clear why we are not doing the things the world has no problem doing. Because those around you do not dictate your standard. God does. What's the third thing we need to know? That faithfulness is not of us. It's the work of who? Work of the Holy Spirit. It's just like all the other expressions of the fruit that we've been studying, right? It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have a role in the process, right? We have an obligation and responsibility to walk out all of these fruits of the Spirit. We play a part in it. So we're not just going to sit there and magically be faithful. We have to put our hands to the plow and do some work. But God alone does the heavy lifting in producing a heart that's capable of faithfulness. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a lifelong journey. And we have to understand that it's a slow process for most of us. And we have to be okay with that, right? That's where grace comes in because we will fall short again and again and again. We desire to be faithful, but we fall short and God's grace abounds. But we continue to faithfully go back to the plow and trust that God is going to do the work in us. The moment that we try to manufacture faithfulness, we will fail everyone around us and ourselves. That's the idea of doing things because we feel like we have to. We're obligated to do it. That motivation, especially in service of the Lord, is not what we're after. It's not what God is after. We don't want to mislead others around us or mislead ourselves to thinking that we're doing the right thing and the whole time we've got the wrong attitude. It is the Spirit at work in us. So what do we need to do that Galatians 5 has told us again? Keep in step with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. That means we have to be in regular communion with the Spirit. In His Word, in prayer, in community. Last one. Faithfulness is cultivated through consistent trust in the character of God. So this is what the whole message has been grounded on. So I wanted to kind of end on this note. How do we know what the true character of God looks like? Let me just ask that question. How do we know what the character of God even looks like? Answers. Anything? The Word. He tells us. What's that? The life of Jesus. And how do we know these things that you just said? How do we gain an understanding of the scriptures? How do we gain an understanding of the life of Jesus? Reading them, right? It's, it's a, going for the simple answer first, right? You have to read 
the scriptures that tell us about the character of God. I'm trying to simplify this as much as possible because we can't just be like, you know, put your head to the Bible and like all of a sudden it's, or, or shake hands with somebody really spiritual, like let me get some of that, right? Doesn't really work like that, okay? We have to read and study the word of God to know who he is. If what we're basing our life off of is grounded in his character, we have to know what his character is. reading his word, but here's another thing that we talk about. We say that church is not like family. It is family, right? And we talk about community and doing life together, but let's just expand that a little bit and talk about gospel community. We have to be in a group of people who are living this out and modeling it so that we can catch it. Right? There's a great book called Gospel Fluency. It talks about the easiest way to learn a language is what? Immersion, like go and be in that culture where all they're speaking is that language and you pick it up quickly. The gospel is no different. We have to be in a culture and a community that's living it out every day, every moment, pointing us back to the gospel, pointing us to the scriptures in order us, for us to see what it looks like and grab onto that. That's a powerful testimony. But we have to be in that community. We have to be willing to go and do the things that we're called to do. That's why we put so much emphasis on life groups. You hear us say it every week, but this is like, if we could put a, a little caveat on why, this is it. Because it's that important. That's where it's lived out. That's where we see it. So we need to orient our lives around things that will consistently reveal to us God's character. So here's what I want to close with this statement. Because all of this is, is leading up to something that we, we are hoping, praying, trusting, believing, if we're Christians, that we'll hear. By emulating God's character and following Jesus' example, we hope one day to hear the words, well done, good, and successful servant, right? You did all the things, you checked all the boxes, you volunteered, you read your Bible, Success. No. Well done, good and faithful servant. So I would just ask you, as you really consider this idea of faithfulness, what to you, as you've been hearing these sermons on, on the fruit of the Spirit, or maybe you're just here for the first time, what does faithfulness in your life right now look like today? What do you think your idea of faithfulness is differing from Scripture's idea of faithfulness? And how do you need to get from here to here? Right? We've got work to do. We're, we're constantly on that journey, becoming more like Him and less like ourselves. But two important, important things. So I'm going to reiterate one more time. We know the, God, the godly character that we're after by studying who he is and by being in gospel community that's modeling it. That's, that's man, if I could leave us with anything, that's how we get on the path to continue to serve faithfully that we might hear the, the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, 
you are, you are faithful. God, even when we are not, you remain faithful and steadfast, and we are so grateful, Lord, that you are, because we're a mess. Lord, our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, we are quickly and easily distracted by the things of this world. We gratify, we give in to the things that we want. We pursue things that are important to us over the things that are important to you. God, would you just help us in the areas where we tend to struggle consistently in not walking in faithfulness? Lord, and I just ask, God, that you, you would bring in us a desire for your word. You would raise up in us a desire to be in community where these truths are being taught day in and day out, week in and week out. Lord, that we are known in a kind of, of way that if we're leading astray, if we're going astray, Lord, there are people in our lives that would say something, bring us back to the faithful walk that we've committed ourselves to. Lord, we know ultimately that we have the ability to be faithful because, Jesus, you were faithful to give your life as a sacrifice that all that would call on the name of Jesus repent of their sin and believe in you, Christ. You offer freedom. You offer forgiveness. And you offer everlasting life. God, help us to walk faithfully. And trusting in you to do the work that only you can do in our hearts and lives. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.